Okay, well tonight we come to another one of those chapters. Um, Turn in your Bibles. We'll start in Genesis 35. That's where we ended last week. We ended at verse 22, in the middle of verse 22. So that's where we're going to start tonight. We'll get to chapter 37 actually. And before you think that there's no way we can get through it in one sitting, if you're looking at the text now... If you look particularly at chapter 36, you're going to see a lot of genealogy. And um, so some of this will go quickly. We'll just touch on some of it tonight. But I think also, as we have seen in some other passages in Genesis, that we kind of scratch our heads. And, you know, I've referred to some of these texts as things we kind of fast forward through sometimes when we're reading it. Um this is just as inspired by God as John 3.16. You know, we often memorize verses like John 3.16 or, you know, Ephesians 2.8 and 9 is a great one. Romans 3.23, Romans 6.23, the Romans road. But this is just as inspired as those. Uh, God had just as much reason for chapters like this as he did for the Gospels, which sometimes is hard for us to understand, but... They are here, and they're good reminders of some biblical truth. So let's just pick up in the second half of verse 22. Let's just, we won't read every verse tonight, um, but we will touch on, uh, we will at least touch on it. So verse 22, um, where did I stop? Now there were twelve sons of Jacob, the sons of Leah, Reuben, Jacob's firstborn, then Simeon, and Levi, and Judah, and Issachar, and Zebulun, the sons of Rachel, Joseph and Benjamin, the sons of Bilhah, Rachel's maid, Dan and Naphtali, and the sons of Zilpah, Leah's maid, Gad and Asher. These are the sons of Jacob who were born to him at Paddan Aram. So immediately we're just we're we're confronted with another list. A list of the sons of Jacob, and we, we know all of these sons already because we've seen them going back from chapter twenty. 8 and 29 and 30 is really where all that really happens where we get all that uh, the births happening but why is this here well let's first remember that Jacob as we began to talk about I guess it was last week wasn't it we did this last week right Jacob was in his sunset years he he's an older man by now he's over 100 years old in fact we're about to see that he was 120 and, and something we're about to look at in a minute but He's in his sunset years. Um, he is um, still going to be living for, for several more years, but the focus of Genesis is shifting to his sons. That's what last week was about. That's what this week is about. And this is a statement to that effect. This restating of the sons of Jacob is preparing us for this last extended segment of the book of Genesis that's going to start in, in chapter 37 and take us through to the end. So... Moses probably inserted this list at this point uh, for the purpose of of showing that transition, which is really, again, what this is all about. And as we see also in in 27 through 29, look at that. Jacob came to his father Isaac at Mamre of Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, where Abraham and Isaac had sojourned. Now the days of Isaac were 180 years. Isaac breathed his last and died and was gathered to his people an old man of ripe age, and his sons Esau and Jacob buried him. Now, it's been a long time since we've talked about one of these patriarchs dying. Uh, Abraham died back in chapter 25. 
He died, I think, um, if my memory is right, about 175 years old. And Abraham really is when we begin to see the, the, the lifespans begin to shrink. Isaac actually outlives him by five years, but he does die here. Um, Jacob, we touched on this a little bit last week, he would have visited his father several times after he got back into the promised land. Uh, those times go unstated, but they are inferred. Remember, we saw that Deborah, Rebecca's nurse, died in the passage we looked at last week, and she had probably come to live with Jacob uh, after uh, Rebecca had died and then and, and on one of those visits to Isaac. But uh, here we see it's a special visit. We see Jacob came to his father. Uh, most likely he had received word that his father was about to die. Um, this is probably about 20 to 25 years after Jacob has gotten back into Canaan. And if you do the math, which I'm not going to get into tonight, Isaac was actually probably still alive when Joseph is sold into slavery, which we haven't gotten to yet in chapter 37. Um, but Isaac's death is recorded here in 36, again, because the theme is this transition into a new generation, from one generation to another. We've seen this before. At one time, Abraham died, and at that point, Isaac was fading off the scene as the focus of the book, and Jacob was now the focus. And now Isaac dies, Jacob is beginning to fade off the scene as the focal point of the book, and his sons are going to become the focal point beginning in chapter 37. Something else to note, look at verse 29. Isaac was gathered to his people. Now what does that mean? It, yeah, but, but it, it means more than just burial, okay? To be gathered to your people, to be gathered to your fathers, as we see it some other places in Scripture, includes a belief in being with them after death. So what we see is that even... Uh, 2,000 years before Christ, God's people had a belief in life after death, which they, they should because this is being taught. Re resurrection is actually taught before this in Genesis. But, but uh, we, we see at the end of, of verse 29 a statement that he was buried, which shows us to, to, to say gathered to his people and buried would be kind of repetitious. So I want you to understand that being gathered to your people means more than just being buried. It means uh, being with your, your people after death. And in, in chapter 49, it's made clear, by the way, that Isaac was buried in the same place as Abraham and Sarah and Leah. Uh, and we'll see more people buried there later on. It's also worth noting before we move on that Esau and Jacob were together when Isaac was buried. We see that... Um, in uh we see that here yeah Esau and Jacob buried him at very the very end of that chapter um they were both 120 years old when that, that happened the reason we know that is because when they're born in chapter 25 Isaac is 60 years old so simple math right um so they're 120 years old um Jacob had been married for less than 40 years by this time you think uh, most people get married in their 20s these days. Some people push it even further along. Uh, Jacob waited until he was 80 or a little after that by the time he got married. Um, Esau, on the other, <laughs> Esau, on the other hand, 
had been married for at least 80 years by this point. So Esau had many more descendants by this time in his life than Jacob did. We think of Jacob having 12 sons and at least one daughter. Actually, he's he's going to have a lot more daughters by the time he, he dies. But Esau had very many descendants uh, by this point. And I got to thinking about this because my family this past weekend went to Huntersville to a family reunion. Huntersville is a little north of Charlotte. That's where my grandfather's family grew up and uh my mom's father and it's been it's been kind of a rough few years for that side of the family because um my grandfather's been gone for for well almost 27 years now this month his other brother he has one brother that died in 1978 and then his other two brothers are getting uh up there in years and of course my grandmother died a couple years ago and so it's been kind of a rough few years because that oldest living generation is beginning to die off and so the next couple of generations after them which would be my mom's generation and my generation when we get together we seem to be talking more about the need to keep getting together um and and just kind of how things are changing in our family and we begin to take these things more seriously i mean i think everybody was looking forward to getting together this weekend because we just don't get to do it as much as we should have well i get to that to say that my brother who rarely even comes to these things and it's probably bad that i'm recording this and saying that out loud <laughs> but uh love you jeremy if you're listening to this which he's not um um my brother and i got to talking and he's been looking into our ancestry, which is a weird thing for him to be doing. It's just, uh, we're, anyway, I shared with him that I've been doing a little bit of digging. Um, not not anything I've had to pay for, uh, but, uh, and, and Wade's over here, he's our resident ancestral uh, 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 student, and he's he's actually done more digging than I have. But I, I was sharing with my brother that I found out the other day, my great, great, well, my grandfather's great-great-grandfather, which I guess makes him my great-great-great-great-grandfather, was in the Civil War, and he was wounded, and he went back in and then got taken prisoner and was held as a prisoner until the end of the Civil War, which I didn't know until the other day, and I thought that was cool. I mean, you learn something new, and that's fun. My point is, my roundabout way of getting to this point is you, you tend to talk more about these things when you get together with family. You get to talk about your ancestry. You get to talk about where you came from, your history. And I, I think that's what Esau and Jacob did here. Because right when we get past the death of Isaac, we get this insertion in in chapter 36 where suddenly Esau's the focus of the chapter and it's a lot of his lineage. It's stuff that act, it's actually... It's not just Esau here that would have given Jacob information. Some of this came from Esau, but some of it no doubt also came from Moses later on, adding this stuff because a lot of this is going to happen after Esau dies. But they're sharing information here about their people so that they know. And and Jacob includes this, and Moses is going to build on it later. And I'm not going to try to dissect the ins and outs of Jacob's family or Esau's family because... um, uh, that would. I, I just want to touch on a couple things here. Um, Genesis twenty-seven. 
if you recall back in Genesis 27, that's where the blessings take place. And when I say the blessings as it relates to Jacob and Esau, of course, there's the stolen blessing, and that's the one we think of. Isaac was intending to, to bless Esau, and Jacob went in and put hair on himself, and, and it was all his mother's idea, but he goes in and does this and gets the blessing that Isaac was intending to give to Esau, wrongly intending to give to Esau, and we talked about that when we were back then. Um, but Esau didn't get up, end up getting a blessing. If you recall, he did end up getting a blessing. Isaac said to him in chapter 27, 39 and 40, <clears throat> Behold, away from the fertility of the earth shall be your dwelling, and away from the dew of heaven from above. By your sword you shall live, and your brother you shall serve. But it shall come about when you become restless, that you will break his yoke from your neck. So what Isaac was saying way back when now, we're talking probably 40-plus years back now, is that Esau would not live in the same land as Jacob would. And now in Genesis 36, we're seeing these are the records of the generations of Esau, that is, Edom. Edom. Now, if you go back into the back of your Bible and you have maps there, you're going to see that Edom is not where Israel is. Edom is actually to the south and to the east of where Israel, what we think of Israel, uh, the, the tw- where the twelve tribes are going to be. And so after listing three wives, we then see in verse 6 that uh, Esau took his wives, his sons and daughters, his household, his livestock, his cattle, and all his good, and, quote, went to another land from his brother. So what we are seeing here is the prophecy, the, the blessing which they, these blessings in Genesis serve as, as, as prophecies too, it's fulfilled here. Um, he ends up going to this place south of the Dead Sea, and Esau's people end up intermarrying with the people that were previously known as Seir, S-E-I-R, and they become known as the Edomites. Now, does anyone remember what Edom means? It means red. And why would Esau be called red? Anyone remember that? What is it? Hair. His hair was red. Well, he came out red, which infers he had red hair and not just blood. But, you know, when he was born, he came out red. Also, when we think about the stolen blessing, what did he want from Jacob? When we go out to the birthright, actually, the red stuff, that stew. So Esau becomes known by these things. And his whole people are going to be called Edom as a result of that. Well, beginning in verse 9, again, we're not going to dissect all this, but I do want to make, I just want to point out a couple of highlights here. Beginning in verse 9, there are some more generations. There's an anomaly in this list, though, and you see that there are some wives listed here, but in verse 12, there is one called a concubine named Timnah. And why is she mentioned? She's mentioned because who does she bear? She bore Amalek. And if that name sounds familiar, it should. And and Moses would have had reason to make sure that name stuck out because Amalek was a very uh, important name to Israel once uh, Moses and the Israelites came out of Egypt. When we see Amalek in Scripture, Numbers chapter 24, verse 20, calls Amalek the first of the nations. The first of the nations. 
which is odd because they aren't the, actually the first nation that ever existed. So why would they be called first of the nations? Well, here's why. Because in the Bible, and in particularly in the Old Testament, there's this concept of God's holy people, Israel, being known as His holy nation. His holy nation, singular. But every other nation are called the nations, all the Gentile nations. So why would Amalek be called the first of the nations? The reason why is because once they came out of Egypt, once Moses led them out of Egypt, out of slavery, they crossed the Red Sea, they're coming out, and before they even get Exodus 19, Exodus 20 to Mount Sinai where the Ten Commandments are given, in Exodus 17 you get this situation where the Amalek, the, the Amalekites, the Amalek's people, they come and swoop down while the Israelites are tired and they try to take them out. And I've made reference to this, this battle, it seems like, two or three times in the past couple of weeks, but it's that one where they're raising Moses' arms and they're prevailing while they raise Moses' arms. Joshua, you know, in Sunday school we talked about this because we're talking about Joshua now in Sunday school in my class. They're raising his arms and they're prevailing, and once his arms go down, they're starting to get beaten, so they lift up his arms, and I think what the, the movie Ben-Hur comes, uh, I think that has something to do with that. I've never seen that old that movie. Uh, shame on me, but uh, anyway, I bring that up because that's why that's emphasized. That's why that's emphasized way back here in Genesis 36. Why does the name Amalek stand out? Because of that. And because of this concept of the nation and the nations, the Amalekites were the first of the nations to oppose Israel after they came out of Egypt. Which is really when we see the, the concept of a nation for the first time. You know, We see tribes, but when they come out together, there are 12 tribes making up one nation. And that's where we see that concept developed. A couple of other points. Verses 31 through 39, we get this section of kings in the land of Edom. In fact, look at verse 31. Let me turn my page so I can get there. Now these are the kings who reigned in the land of Edom before any king reigned over the sons of Israel. Now why is that an interesting thing to see in Genesis? Because Genesis is going to end, the timeline of Genesis is going to end around, let's say, about 1800 B.C. I may have my exact date wrong, but it's somewhere around 1800 B.C., okay? Israel's first king is not going to be named for another 800 years, King Saul, around 1040 B.C. But this section would have been added on by Moses, which is also interesting because Moses lived before there was a king in Israel as well. But there's this statement, uh, the, these Edomite kings, they reigned before there was a king in Israel. How would Moses have known this? Well, because in Deuteronomy 17, if you, were no, if you know anything about Deuteronomy, most of Deuteronomy is basically a sermon from Moses to the nation of Israel right before they are about to enter the promised land. Okay? The second generation of Israelites is basically receiving... Deuteronomy means second law, the second giving of the law. And so Moses is basically repeating a lot of the things that have already been said because the first generation of Israelites has died off 
and now the second generation is about to go in. And in Deuteronomy 17, Moses is about to die, but he's given these words, and he tells them that one day you're going to get into this land, and you are going to want a king like all of the other nations, which is very close to the language we actually see in 1 Samuel chapter 8 when this happens. Okay, But one of the things that happens is, yeah, Moses is telling them ahead of time what the requirements for their king would be, so he knows they're going to have a king. So when he's writing chapter 36 of Genesis, when he's you know, he's not thinking in chapter and verse, of course, but when he's putting this record together, the law for Israel, he's including this here because the Edomites have had all of these kings before Israel will ever have a king. And so this information is not just to let them know of these kings that the Edomites had, but to warn them because of a couple of things we have that, that we find out about these Edomite kings. You know, what's one of the things that stands out in, uh, when we talk about the Israelite kings? If, if you were to go to 1 Kings, 2 Kings, and you see, who normally becomes king after one dies? A son. A son, right? One of the sons or a, like a close male relative, Right? Well, if you were to go through all of these Enomite kings, you're going to find out, eight of them in all, none of them are related to each other. Each of them is the son of somebody else, which indicates that there was no dynasty of Edomite kings um, that, that probably by force some of these kingdoms were ended. Um, Hader is the only one who doesn't die, which probably means he was alive when Moses was, was collecting this information. But this is a warning to Israel ahead of time. Be careful what you wish for. You just might get it. And in fact, you know, we would see that they would get a lot of that. So, um, just a couple more things here. The uh, last four verses, chapter 40, or verse 40 through uh, 43, uh, the chapter finishes with a list of some of the important chiefs, or if you're looking at the KJV, dukes. You get the idea of dukes in Scripture and Edom. Um... But the point being, Esau had many descendants. He multiplied greatly, just as his brother did. Uh, and he grew in a much greater stature than Jacob did. And that's evident from chapter 37.1. If you look at chapter 37, verse 1, which is where we'll stop tonight as far as progressing in the text. Now Jacob lived in the land where his father had sojourned, in the land of Canaan. So, whereas Esau is powerful and he's a great many and he's expanding land to the south and to the east at this point Jacob is just dwelling in the same land his father did in Hebron and Canaan um, no kings are mentioned here You know, the tribes really haven't even come to fruition yet the concept of tribes really hasn't come into to fruition there's no governing of lands he's sojourning Okay, which means he's he's not governing any land really he's just moving around um, and there's a quote by one of the commentators that, that really, I think, captures the point that's being made here at the end. And it's, Secular greatness exemplified in Esau in general grows up far more rapidly than spiritual greatness represented by Jacob. And that seems to be true. Uh, it's a generalization, but it seems to be a true generalization. If you seek riches in the world... And if you go all out for those things, 
then you're more likely to get them quicker than spiritual greatness, which takes time, and you have to go through trials and tribulations. One of the fruits of the Spirit is patience. Um, and, and I think that's the point being made. And then one last point. Why is this here? You know, because when we, when we read this, Again, this is one of the fast-forward passages. Let's get through this genealogy as quickly as we can so we can get to the stuff that matters, right? Well, when we look at this genealogy of Esau, much of it is repeated in 1 Chronicles 35, or chapter 1. You'll find it in 35 through 54. That might not seem like a big deal. And maybe in the grand scheme of things it isn't. But... If you know a little bit of the, bit of the background of the Bible, it, it is kind of interesting. Because what's the first book in the Bible? Genesis, right? And if you look at any collection of biblical books, any translation, the first book of the Bible is always going to be Genesis. It means beginnings. First Chronicles, though, really First and Second Chronicles, the combined book of Chronicles, are the last book of the Old Testament in the Hebrew Bible. Okay, The Hebrew Bible and our Old Testament have all of the same books, but the Hebrew Bible orders them in a different way. And Jesus actually refers to this in, in, in Luke 11 when he talks about prophets that have died. He points to Abel being the first prophet that died, and then Zechariah the, the son of the high priest in Second Chronicles 20 being the last of the Old Testament prophets to die. Was he the last of the Old Testament prophets to die and what we have is the Old Testament? No, but when you go by the Hebrew book order, he is. And here's the point I want to make about that. If Genesis is the first book in the Bible and we have the genealogy of Esau there and then God sees fit at the very end of the Hebrew Bible, the very end of, of Old Testament writings as the, the, the Bible of Jesus' day would have had it, the point seems to be to remind Israel that whereas Esau's descendants intermarried and they, they, they always grew, Israel was to remain distinct. Israel was to remain different. The sons of Jacob were not to be like the sons of Esau. They were not to live among the sons of Esau. They were to always be distinct. Uh, going back to those initial blessings in chapter 27, um, Israel was God's holy people from beginning to end. And, and God's people are to always be holy for His purposes. And if you want to take some application tonight home with you, first of all, God always has a purpose for everything He puts in His Word. So don't ever doubt that there's a purpose even when we might read through this and go, what does this have to do with me? It always has something to do with you. You just have to dig sometimes. But mostly, just as far as a pursuit in your life of Christ, let holiness be your pursuit. Israel was to be that holy nation. Exodus 19, before they got the Ten Commandments, you are my chosen people. You are my holy nation. You are people for my own possession. And let holiness be our pursuit. Let the glory of God be our ambition. All right? Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We ask your blessing upon your word. Help us, Father, in those passages where we might sometimes be uh, fighting through 
to, to remember that all Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be equipped, or adequate, equipped to do every good work. And that's us. If we, are, if we belong to you, you are using your word to refine your people, to glorify yourself through our obedient faith. And I pray, Father, that we would do that. May we not take one letter of Scripture for granted, but realize this is your revelation to us of yourself and of your purpose, and we must take that very seriously. We're only taking you as seriously as we take your word. And so, Father, we thank you and we praise you. And I ask, Lord, that you might give us the grace to be holy as you are holy. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.